That's Acts 8, 1 to 17 is where we will find ourselves today. But before we do that, I want to share just a couple verses from Galatians. I was looking up Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I was struck by uh, by 21, because we don't often refer to it, but it really encouraged my heart this morning. And I think as we are talking about the focus of the early church was on preaching Christ and that he was the way of salvation, I think this fits. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, Christ is dead in vain. And truly, <clears throat> we do not have a vain faith. Our faith is in the risen Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who paid it all. He said on the cross of Calvary, it is finished. So, as we continue to look at the growth of the early church, we will see persecution leads to growth. You've probably noticed this in your life, as much as we hate to admit it, that we don't grow as much when things are going well. As we do when things start going poorly and then we're like, okay, God, how are you going to show up here? I've experienced that over the last eight months after being taken off of social security disability. I was like kind of terrified at first, but God really <clears throat> convinced me not to panic and to be still and know that he was God and he has provided, as I said. But it is through suffering that we grow. Paul himself said, I do not, most gladly therefore, talking about his thorn in the flesh, I would rather glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He did not say, I want to get rid of my infirmity. Because he already had been through that journey with God. He said, God, take away my infirmity. And God said, no. And he said it a second time. God, take away my infirmity. And God said, no. He said a third time, God, take away my infirmity. And God said, no. Because God's sustaining grace was enough for Paul as it is for us. But we are going to a place in Acts chapter 8 where Paul has yet to experience the saving grace of God. So we will begin reading in uh, Acts chapter 8 and we will read Acts 8, 1 to 4. And my, my message today is persecution leads to church growth. My first point is Saul continues his misdirected zeal. We read a little bit about that zeal in the breaking of bread when we read from Philippians chapter 3, he said that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, 
and that as far as humanly possible, he followed the law to perfection. And so this is the backdrop by which we see Paul again, or Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 8. So reading at verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that being Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution in the, um, against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they were scattered abroad. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now remember in Acts chapter four when Peter and John were put into prison. And they were forbidden for preaching in the name of Jesus. They were told, do not preach in this name. What did they do? They ran back to the upper room and they locked the door and they stayed there for days and days and days. No, they prayed. And part of their prayer was, give us more boldness that we may preach for you. And... So this is actually a fulfillment of that, that they went everywhere as they were scattered, preaching the word. And one of the reasons that I know the Bible is true is because if, if we were writing this about ourselves, we probably would not want to talk about much that we made havoc of. And... And, and if, if Saul wasn't really redeemed and didn't really become Paul and didn't really own his sin and thought, hey, I, I am a pretty good guy, even though I did some little things wrong, then he would have said, don't put that in. Or he would have done anything he could to have it censored. But it's right here for us because it's true. Because God is in the business of taking flawed individuals like you and I and then doing great things for his kingdom despite our flaws or perhaps even because of them. We sing a song that says, Channels only, blessed master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us any day and any hour. And one of the verses of that song starts out, Emptied that thou shouldest fill me. You have to be empty before you can be filled. And it's important for us to know that we need to be emptied of ourselves so that we can be filled for him and with him. So Saul is throwing people in prison left and right. He hates the followers of Jesus. And he consented to Stephen's death. 
And so, let us look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I know there's probably someone in here that could quote it for us, but if you can go to that verse and read it for us, just so we get the idea of where it is in the Bible, that would be awesome. Acts 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall, shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. So, if, if this persecution hadn't happened, and the, the people, the disciples and the followers of Jesus were not scattered, would this verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 be coming true? It was the scattering of these people and their determination to continue to preach the word that allowed the gospel to go forth. And we will talk about the, Samaria, the Samarians as we go through this passage, interestingly enough. So it's important for us to realize that often persecution gets us from where we are to where God wants us to be. It's not a pleasant thing when you're going through it, but it's a way that God accomplishes His goals for us. A spirit-filled worker connected with the African Inland Mission was giving his testimony after returning from very dangerous service in the First World War. He said that if someone sent him on a journey and told him the road to take, warning him that at a certain point he would come to a dangerous crossing of the river, at another point to a forest infested with wild beasts, he would come to the dangerous river crossing and the other dangers with the satisfaction of knowing that he was on the right road. So he told them that the Lord predicted that the Christians would have tribulation, and when the tribulations came, he knew he was on the right road. Paul said this to Timothy, Know this, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He doesn't say might, he says shall. So if you are being persecuted for standing up for the truth, know that you're going the right way. This is especially prevalent today in our conversations within the culture about things like abortion or God's view of human sexuality. Because often people say, well, well, don't be mean to them. Be loving to them. Love them. Because Christ loves them, and truly that is the case. But sometimes love means telling someone they're wrong. Sometimes love means saying, this is not the way to go. Society is in shambles. Your life is going nowhere because you are choosing to go down the wrong path. And then when you lovingly tell them, in essence, that their house is on fire, they say, why are you a hater? I've had that happen to me. Paul said it this way, though. 
Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. You see, God is a just God. God is a God who cannot stand sin. So he's given us a way to escape sin. But we need to take it. I was reading some information about the Titanic this week. And it's interesting that if you didn't get a place on the lifeboats, you didn't have much of a chance for survival. And sadly, people were so confident in the survival of the Titanic that they reduced the number of lifeboats before they took off. Jesus has provided the way to salvation. He has provided the way for us to be sure of our eternity. But he also tells us that death makes things final. In Luke chapter 16, we, talk, we hear about the rich man and Lazarus, and it speaks to us of the great gulf fixed no one can travel between heaven and hell. Or between hell and heaven. Once your eternal destiny is decided, you cannot change it. So the time to decide is now. Samaria receives the gospel. Acts 8, 5-13. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirit, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies, and they were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was the great one, was some great one, to whom all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, Preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So we have here, Philip goes down to Samaria. And the first thing I want to mention is, if you notice in Acts chapter 6, um, 6 verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, this is about the calling of the deacons, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicer, and Timon, and Paneas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And I find it interesting 
that these men were chosen as deacons so that the disciples did not have to leave the preaching of the Word of God. And yet you turn to Acts chapter 8, and the church is scattered, and they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're going to different places, and God calls Philip to Samaria. And Philip preaches the gospel. He doesn't say, well, I'm a deacon. I serve tables, so I'm not going to preach the gospel. No, he preaches the gospel where God has put him. And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the works that he did. We really need to do better as the body of Christ at being in one accord. Because see, everything that's happening, these major big things that are happening in the book of Acts are happening because of the one accord focus of the early church. And then we see these healings that take place as evidence of God working in the Samaritans. And we see this man called Simon, who was a sorcerer. And he bewitched the people of Samaria. Witchcraft is real. That's why God tells us to avoid witchcraft. In Deuteronomy it says, If anyone is practicing witchcraft among you, he needs to be killed. Or to avoid it. And yet as powerful as the devil is, as real as his danger is, there is a power that is greater. And that is the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so at that name, these people are being released from bondage. And at that name, this one who they thought was the power of God now seems small and insignificant. And then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, I want to say something here, because we're not going to read that far down, but I, I just want to say something uh, by way of preferencing our next session in Acts. And that is, I do believe that Simon's conversion was genuine. The reason I believe it is because when he was rebuked by Peter later, he says, pray for me so that I do not have this great punishment that you speak of come on to me. Because when you were a baby, you didn't know the right things to do. You had to learn to walk. You had to learn to talk. You had to learn to eat. And I think Simon had to learn these lessons as well. But continuing on. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen on none of them, only 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And um, uh, before we speak more about that, I just want to look at a cross-reference of Matthew of Psalm ninety-eight two and three, Psalm ninety-eight two and three. Someone could go there. That would be amazing. Psalm ninety-eight. Yes. The Lord has made known His salvation. His righteousness has as He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So, he starts out with Israel, his chosen people, which I believe he still, Israel is still his chosen people. He, God is still protecting them. And if you don't side with Israel, I think you have a great surprise and awakening coming to you eventually. Because he chose them. Not because they were great, but because of his mercy. In the same way that he chose you and I. And he started, as he said to the Phoenician woman, I've come but for the lost sheep of Israel. But then as we go through this passage, we see that he is broadening his scope. That he will reach first to the Sumerians, who were half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentile. And then later he will reach to full Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. So he is in the business of expanding the kingdom of God. The truth, Jesus said, shall make you free, John 8, 32. On the night of the emancipation of the Jamaica slaves in 1838, a mahogany coffin was made and a grave was dug. Into that coffin, they crowded all the various relics and remnants of their previous bondage and sorrow. The whips, the tortures, the irons, the branding irons, the coarse frocks and shirts and gray hat, fragments of the treadmill, the handcuffs they placed in the coffin and screwed down the lid. At the stroke of midnight, the coffin was lowered into its grave. And then the whole of that throng of thousands celebrated their redemption from thraldom by singing the doxology. It is a picture of the Christian's buried past. I'm not sure who relates that story, but I, I think it goes well with this passage because we talked about all the healing, the unclean spirits going out of people, the healing from physical diseases, and the great joy that came upon them. Because that's the difference that Jesus can make. Okay, so the Holy Spirit welcomes them into the family. Now this is a passage in Acts 
a fourteen to seventeen that is um, kind of confusing when you first read it because we we know that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and came upon the disciples. And Peter said, Repent and be baptized that you may receive the Holy Spirit. And when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, he talks about being sealed from the moment of your conversion. So one might ask, why were Peter and John needed to lay hands on these people, as we just read, to give them the Holy Spirit? There are several different interpretations of this passage. The one that I believe makes the most sense when you look at the rest of Scripture, because as my father once wisely told me, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, is the fact that, as we said, God is in the process of expanding the church. To this point, the only converts had been people that were Jews there on the day of Pentecost. And now God is reaching over into the Gentile world by sending Philip to Samaria to preach Christ to the Samarians. And so we have, in order to, I believe, have God show the complete unity of the church from the Jews to Samaria and onward, God sent, the apostles sent Peter and John to see the work that Philip had done and then they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So this was evidence to Peter and John and to the rest of the apostles these are indeed a part of the church. Incidentally, it's interesting, in verse 14 it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. A lot of times people in the Catholic tradition and other faiths related will say that, that Peter was like the Pope, the first Pope. That he was given this power and authority over the early church. But no, Peter was just a man. A man who was sent by the apostles to do the work of God. But he didn't put himself above them. He was on equal footing with them and was sent by the church to the Samaritans. And when we pray in faith, big things happen. We see what Philip accomplished 
Philip didn't accomplish this because he went in his own strength. He accomplished it because he went in the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let's look, shall we, at Acts 10, 42-46. Acts 10, 42-46. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come to Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, I don't know, there may be some Jewish roots among some of you gathered here today, but for the most part, We are Gentiles who've been grafted in. Who've been accepted in the Beloved. Who Paul wrote to in Galatians when he said, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ. Has made you free. Only, he says later in the chapter, use not liberty to satisfy the flesh, but by love serve one another. We, we need to be serving one another as the body of Christ. I'm so thankful and humbled and gratified that you, the saints of Holland Gospel Chapel, have served me in such powerful ways. And I'm very grateful for you. I remember you often in my prayers. And I hope to do an even better job of that going forward. Because we need to pray for each other too. But... It's so wonderful to know that we can have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us. Jesus said, I'm going away, and where I go you cannot come, but I will pray the Father, and he will send another comforter. The Holy Spirit, which will guide you into all truth. I'm thankful that we have that today. Because how sad would it be if he had gone up into heaven and given us no resource, no promises, no hope. It would be very similar to what Jesus said. Now if Christ be dead, 
our faith is in vain. But now is Christ risen from the dead? And because Christ is risen from the dead, we can have victory. Paul said, I'm a wretched man, but thanks be to God who gives me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to be successful, to do great things for the Lord, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul in one of his epistles, I believe it's Second Corinthians, he says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And when he's talking about being filled with the Spirit, he's talking about be. I heard one speaker say this, be being filled with the Spirit. In such a way that we need constant filling of the Spirit. We need constant emptying of ourselves. Just as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, our feet get dirty sometimes. We need to wash them. But Jesus also gives us the promise that you are clean. If you are redeemed, you are clean. He didn't need to wash Peter's whole body because Peter, he said, you're clean. I just need to wash your feet. I'm clean. The Bible says that my sins are as far away as the east is from the west. But I still need my feet washed. I still need to be filled with the Spirit. I still need to be being filled with the Spirit. Because only as I am filled with the Spirit, only as I am fed, can I feed others. And since it's my great desire to feed others, whether it be here at Holland Gospel Chapel, or whether it be daily at the Potter's House, I need to be filled with him. As John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. <coughs> Dion Moody said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness, and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. My prayer for you today is that you will be emptied so that you can be filled. So that when you leave this place, wherever you go this week, people will know, as they did with Peter and John, that you have been with Jesus. But you can't even begin to be filled by His Spirit if you are lost. The Bible says there's only two types of people. He that believeth 
is not condemned because he hath believed on the name of the only Son of God. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has chosen not to believe. Those are the only two kinds of people there are on this earth. Which one are you? The Bible says that if we believe in him, in that very moment, we are passed from death unto life. My prayer is that we would learn from the Sumerians and we would be passed from death to life. God is so good to us. He gives every good and perfect gift. And even as I'm frustrated from time to time with the waiting pattern that God has me in, I, I realize that there is wisdom to be found in the waiting. And that if God is answering prayers today, He will answer prayers tomorrow, and He will answer prayers if he tarries a year from now, ten years from now, as we sang earlier, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my life to Jesus, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, more joy overflows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. Oh, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this promise that the longer we serve you and the more we get to know you, the more we will be like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be the prayer of our hearts to be conformed daily to his image, because our image is nothing but filthy and disgusting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.